But if you have your Bibles, I really am excited for the word, though. I really am. We are in the book of Revelation, and we get to really the heart of this book. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And it's, this is one of those messages that you're going to have to probably listen to it a few times to let it really take root. There's so much here. Highly encourage you to take notes so you can sit with it during the week and maybe re-listen to the podcast tomorrow when we release it. But I believe that you're going to live here with a lot of hope today. You're going to live here encouraged today. You're going to live here with a different perspective and understanding for this journey that we are in. Can you say amen? amen? Yeah, we should celebrate in advance. If you have faith, believe that with me. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, can we close that door in the back? It's distracting to me. Thank you. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the, to- from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he also, then he said to me, write this down for I tell you what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Can you say amen? I want to talk to you, I'm going to title this talk, Rethink Heaven. Rethink Heaven. It's going to require some brain power because of how we've used to thinking about heaven. And I told you from the beginning when we started doing Revelation that I don't believe in unhealthy fears, sensationalism. I don't want to add to the noise. I want to bring perspective. I want to help you understand the context through which this book was given to them and to us. And we've been saying to you that the goal of Revelation was to bring perspective in the midst of a very difficult time. They were going through a time of persecution and getting ready to go into another intense moment of persecution. And here, Jesus comes to this pastor named John, the last apostle remaining from the original apostles, to give him a glimpse of what was, what was truly happening and what was going to happen. That's why it's called revelation. God has to reveal it to us. On our own, we will not understand the things of God. This is why sometimes when you're trying to talk to someone about the things of God, they don't get it. It can't compute without revelation. It won't make sense unless God reveals it. It won't make sense unless God says, let me pull back the curtain. Let me open it up for you to see that there's more than meets the eye here. That there is more than just the natural, there is also the supernatural. There's realms to this thing. And this is why we believe that when you get to this place, you are getting to the best part of it. This is why we have a giant thing plastering our wall out there that the best is yet to come. We don't say that 
out of just, you know, human optimism. We say that because God said the best is yet to come. That's why we will use that phrase often is to remind us that we are on a journey and that the best is still to come. Can you say amen? Now here, the challenge, my friends, is that, is that most of us, and I would honestly say probably all of us, are used to a presentation of the gospel that is less than what Jesus had in mind. The problem is what has been presented to us from childhood, depending on your upbringing, whether you went to church or not, it sounds a little bit like this. It says that we humans are these really bad people, sinners, and that we need salvation. And if we are good people, eventually we will come to the end of our lives. And if we're good enough, we might go to a place named heaven. And if we're not good enough, we might go to a place named hell. Unfortunately, that is the perception that most people have of what the Bible is trying to teach us. But when you begin to really pay attention to scriptures and study it, you realize, man, that actually sells this gospel, this good news way, way short of what God had in mind in the first place. My prayer today, my goal today, is to dispel some of these myths and to actually present to you a way more compelling gospel, a way more compelling good news. Because the way a lot of people tell it, it doesn't sound like good news. It's our best iffy. <laughs> you know, it's our best, eh, all right, I guess. And it's a shame because this thing is so exciting, it's so riveting, it's so compelling that I think if we tell a better story, we might get a better response. What if that's not entirely what the Bible is trying to tell us? That here you are, try to be your best, don't do bad, don't steal, don't lie, don't kill, go to church. Maybe perchance, perhaps you might make it. And if you don't, you might go somewhere else. But I think there's a much better story here that the Bible is trying to tell us and that what you just read is actually what he's been trying to say from the beginning of time. My friends, I got news for us. The Bible story starts with God, not you. Because this, this less than version of the gospel starts with you, and that's the problem. You're the center of the universe, therefore it depends on you and what you do that depends on what you're gonna happen to eternity. So that version of the gospel is you are God and God is just an attachment that you attach to your life. Hello somebody, we're preaching. Well, indeed. That is not what the Bible teaches. My friends, the first verse in the Bible, the first verse, Genesis 1, 1 says this. It says, in the beginning, God. not you, not me. This is when I wish I was from the South and I, and, and I was T.D. Jakes where I can say, in the beginning, God. <laughs> and I wish I had a keyboard back there that, that can roll with me and go, mm. I can have preaching fantasies too, you know. In the beginning, God. Not you, not me. And this God created the heavens and the earth. And you know what's crazy? He keeps creating. He doesn't even get to you till the sixth day. He's like, man, I'm making galaxies, stars, moon, planets, plants, animals. Didn't you? <laughs> and as he's creating, he's like, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. The angels are like, oh, man, he's doing his thing. And then he gets to you, and he says, this is very good. He might have created you in six days, but you're his favorite creation. But you got to get this thing in order first to fully understand why you are his favorite creation. Hello, somebody. In the beginning, God 
creator, the heavens and the earth. Please track with me now. The garden was where heaven and earth was one. Two realms in one place. That's the ultimate goal. What you just read, he's saying, pay attention. I want to bring that back. I'm not trying to build something somewhere else. I'm trying to bring it back here, bringing the two realms into one place. Friends, new heaven and new earth is not somewhere else. It's back here in this place like it was in Genesis chapter 1. The problem is most of us have heard the gospel starting with Genesis chapter 3 where everything went wrong. But before it went wrong, it was all right. That's why he's saying I'm making everything new. How do you make it new? Because it was new before. He's restoring what was there from the beginning. God, he said, God's home is now among his people. Go back to Genesis 1. What is God doing? Walking among his people. He would come and hang out with Adam and Eve. Conversations like the realms were one. Heaven where God exists and earth where we exist into one place. And they had communion, they had fellowship They would hang out, he would tell Adam, go ahead, name some things. Duck. (laughs) Hippo. He's just naming. Cheetah. I think he kept naming, he's getting tired. Brought him another creature. Adam is running out of ideas, he's like, Dog, God backwards, (laughs) I got nothing else, God. (laughs) Somehow, this thing creeped in. I don't think God created it, but he creeped in. He's like, cat. (laughs) There's a theological debate there. I don't think God created cats. They somehow got in. If you're a cat lover, bear with me. It's going to get better. (laughs) But my friends, the struggle is this. To really appreciate the scriptures, you have to rethink what the word heaven actually means. The struggle we have is that we have this in English, and it's the best translation possible. But the Greek and Hebrew has many meanings to certain words, heaven being one of those. The word heaven has many implications and many meanings that sometimes we are missing it if we just have this linear understanding of the gospel, like I'm here, try to be a good person and try to go to heaven or try to go to hell. That's not what Jesus had in mind. To truly appreciate the Bible, we have to look at it for what it truly is. And let me get some things out of the way that it's not. Let me dispel some myths. Heaven is not going up to some clouds naked playing the ark. That's a terrible picture of heaven. What if I don't play the harp? <laughs> and naked? What's up with that? I don't know who came up with that, but that's not biblical. You won't find that anywhere in scriptures. Here's another one that heaven is not. I don't know what growing up, if you went to church, but I heard some preachers say, man, In heaven, we're going to have church service for all eternity. And I'm thinking, that sounds more like hell. (laughs) I'm a pastor. I love church. But church service forever? That can't be it. Because it's a lack of understanding of what worship actually is. Worship is not singing songs. Worship is, is, is being in the presence of God and having all your energy, your focus, your attention devoted to him and you devoted to him devoted to you. And there's an exchange that happens continuously and it goes on forever. But it does not mean you're in a static place. You'll continue to grow and evolve in understanding of what it means to actually be his. So it's not an eternal church service. And thank God for that. 
It's also not a place where there's a gate and St. Peter plays bouncer. <laughs> Heaven is not a nightclub where if you have VIP with Jesus, you get in. That is not, you don't find it anywhere in the Bible where Peter is at the door. Can you imagine? To me, that's like, I would, if I was Peter, I would say, Jesus, why are you punishing me? This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know how many people die every day? <laughs> you know, no, that's not scriptural at all. And to make it even worse, my friends, there's nothing here that says it's a place where good religious people get to punch their tickets. Scary thing is Jesus said some religious people will not make it. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, we enter my kingdom, but those who do the will of my Father. We have to be very careful that we don't buy into this narrative, I'm a good religious folk, therefore, I got my ticket. It's also not up in the sky somewhere. You have to understand, the Bible gives you words, metaphors, to try to paint a picture for you. So when you say, I'm going up to heaven, it's like saying, hey, I graduated to another class. If you are in sixth grade going to seventh grade, it doesn't mean there's another floor. Sixth grade is here, seventh grade is second floor, next floor. No, it's a metaphor to say, I'm moving up. It's not somewhere in the sky. I don't care how far you go up in the sky, you're gonna probably keep hitting different galaxies and different planets, because we don't even explore everything yet. We don't even know half of it. And if you go down below to the Earth's core, you're not going to hell. My friends, these are unnecessary understandings of different realms of existence. So when he says heaven and earth, he's talking about different dimensions, different realms. If you're a nerd like me, you start getting into string theory, you start to understand, I mean, there's many dimensions within life. Problem is we live in 2D perspective. We're like black or white. But what if God doesn't have that? What if God doesn't live in linear? Like, we love 4K and God's like, that's cute. <laughs> Keep going, guys. It's dimensions, it's realms of existence. It's not necessarily up or down. That's just the way we think in our linear understanding of life. Are you tracking with me so far? I know this could gotta jam the mind a little bit. So let me help you. I'm gonna play a video for you guys who are visual. This is one of my favorite YouTube channels. I don't recommend YouTube a lot. I told you this. A lot of weird things going on on YouTube. A lot of dumb algorithms that just keeps you bound in fear. Pay attention to that. That's a whole other message. There's, there's a message in that message. It's a matrix. I won't get into that. But I do love the Bible Project because these guys are really doing their homework of bringing context to scriptures. Not trying to paint the picture of unhealthy fears or sensationalism or trying to make the scripture say what it doesn't say. But they're trying their best to bring you back to the original narration of the Bible story. And they, they did an incredible job, I think, in my opinion, of creating this video about what, what is heaven and what is earth. What are, how do these two realms coexist? And I hope this helps you. You might have to watch it like 10 times. So here's try number one. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning. 
where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, behold, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So, in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So go home and watch it a few more times. 
to get the, the fullness of this. And let me spend some time around the word heaven to get us a better understanding that heaven in Jesus' perspective meant different things. First, first of all, in Matthew chapter 3, it tells us this. John the Baptist said, repent of your sins, which means, it simply means this. Hey, it's not about you. Okay, get, get yourself out of the way and, and, and turn to God. Make God the center of your f- focus, of your life. That's what repentance means. It's like, hey, stop living like you're the center of the universe and let God be God in your life. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Here the word heaven is another word for God. The space of God, the realm of God is near. Right here where you are. Another interpretation of the word heaven is given to you by Jesus himself. He said, there's a future coming together where I will bridge the gap between the two realms. He calls this the age to come. The word age in scriptures, it means era. There's a new era coming, right? So when he comes back from the dead and he commissions his first disciples, which is another word for students, a better understanding of the word disciple is a student of life, which we all should be. He says, now, now go, right, and bring this good news, like the real good news, that heaven has come, and that you can create these pockets, right? And then he says this to them, as, he, as he's explaining the commission, he says, go ahead, he says, teach these new disciples or students of life to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, to the end of this era, before I bridge the two completely together as one. In the meantime, I want you to go and create pockets of this reality. When you go and you bring the gospel, you bring in heaven. When you, when you see healing, you bring in heaven. When you see miracles, you bring in heaven. When you're, when you're helping where, where there's brokenness, you bring in heaven on earth. And keep doing that until I bridge the two together where the two will become one one day. Are you tracking with me? Then Jesus talks about another perspective of heaven. He says, the present reality of the experiences that you have that transcends this world, the the overwhelming feelings of joy, of love, of peace, it's me bringing heaven to you in this moment. In Luke chapter 18, a religious person came to Jesus and asked this question. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? My friends, understand this. He was not talking about what should I do to go to heaven someday. He was saying, what can I do to bring that perspective here? How can I live now in this moment so I can have that life? that is exuberant, that's exciting, that's filled with purpose and meaning and joy in the kingdom of God. He's not talking about, hey, how do I get to, how do I get to heaven when I die? He's talking about, how do I bring that here? That's the question that he was asking. How does Jesus answer the question is interesting. Jesus has answered the question the way that we would have done it. Hey, go ahead, say this Jesus prayer. Try to be a good person. That's not how Jesus answered the question at all. Jesus says to him, have you obeyed the commandments, testing him, And he says, yeah, all my life I've obeyed all the commandments, but Jesus left one out. Jesus didn't talk about you shouldn't covet. That's the last commandment. And Jesus said, hey, so just do one thing, you're good. Go sell everything and come back. Why? Because to this man, the very thing that was going to hold him back from this life was greed. But guess what? Jesus didn't say that to everybody. To a woman, he says, hey, go call your husband and come back. He says, you know what's holding you back from this eternal life of meaning and purpose is that relationship to Nicodemus he says yeah, you got to be born again why because you know what's holding you back your religious system so what's holding you back from life eternal is is the things that's jamming up the purpose of God in your life right now it's not one size fits all but it's not about going to heaven someday it's about bringing heaven to earth now are you tracking with me So present eternity, my friend, real experiences of joy, of peace, of love in this life. Jesus was saying heaven wasn't just about someday, it's about present reality in this life. Merging heaven and earth, the future and the present, here and now. Pockets of it, not the fullness of it yet, right? Please write this down. Eternal life is less 
about life after death and more about a quality and vitality of life lived now in connection to God. That's eternal life. In other words, eternal life begins the moment that you come to understand that life is not about you. It's about him and his will and his purpose and you can play a role in it. The more you make yourself the center of the universe, the more you're gonna miss out on eternal life. Not after you die, but right now. Quiet in this Baptist church. <laughs> so my friends, the invitation of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is to say, hey, come now in this broken world to experience life of heaven right now, not later. He insisted, go reread the gospels. He insisted over and over again that God's peace, joy, love was available to people right now, not sometime later. Right? The heaven is here now and it's, yes, to come, but in the meantime, you get to have pockets of experiences of what it means to be in the presence of God. To say that there's a kingdom of heaven is to say that God is real and he's here with you in this time and space, tangibly, just like today as we're worshiping, you can kind of tell the realms are kind of touching and there's something more happening in you and around you. Can you say amen? Notice the picture that Jesus gives in Revelation is a picture of a marriage. He says, he says watch the two, heaven and earth, are meant to be together like a marriage. He didn't say you're going to go. He says, no, we're coming. And the picture is what? It's a city, right? Call what? Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? City of God. It's not necessarily a, a, a place. It's, it's the people of God converging into the space to become one again with heaven and earth. It's a beautiful picture that at the end of the day, love, not hate, is the final word in the universe. You know that marriage is supposed to be one of the pockets of heaven on earth. Say, listen, I see my people like my bride. I don't know if you remember your, your wedding day. I just did a wedding and I always love the moment where the groom is always here standing and his knees are buckling. <laughs> and he's trying to hold it together. And my favorite moment in every wedding, because it was my favorite moment in my wedding, was the moment you open the door and you see the bride, it's like all the emotions. And I saw yesterday again, he's like. <laughs> and I remember when, when, when my wife-to-be came through the door, I, the thug just melted. It was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> Picture that, Jesus is saying, that's how excited I am to see those who I have redeemed. <laughs> and get this, catch this. He's saying the two become one. Man and woman are different, but they belong together. Heaven and earth belong together as one. <laughs> this is why my friends, we have to be careful not to take the covenant of marriage lightly. It is one of the displays of heaven on earth. When a man and a woman submitted to the will of God come together as one, heaven is co-signing that and saying, that's exactly how I want it to be. You guys represented me in developing more children that will represent me, creating little pockets of heaven on earth, not waiting to leave this place, but to bring that place here in this place. See, my friends, this is why the enemy loves to downplay marriages, because he knows it's, it's a black eye in God's eyes to try to distort it, pollute it, make it something less than a beautiful matrimony between a man and a woman. Can you say amen? amen. My friends, it's the fulfillment of the final prayer. Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in. That's how he taught us to pray. Matthew 6. Right, go ahead. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bridge the two. Bring them together as one on earth. All creation will reflect God's image in the world. Why? Because in Genesis 1, all creation reflected God's image on earth earth. See, God's great design is to defeat and abolish everything that doesn't belong, including our worst enemy, death. 
That's why it hurts so much when you lose a loved one, because it wasn't supposed to be. We got ripped apart, the two realms get ripped. And that's why it hurts when a marriage is struggling or when someone dies, because the two are coming apart. We're being ripped apart. This weekend, I did a funeral and a wedding. But what's powerful about the two is that in both, you can see the reality of another realm. New heaven, new earth to replace the old that's decaying. You know the Bible says, Romans 8, even the world is groaning. The, 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 the picture there is, is, it's like a woman ready to give birth. Right? That, that, that you've, create, you, you, you've created this human being, but it, it takes time for this human being to develop. And then there's a, there's a time where everything says, okay, get this thing out of here. And all the ladies... <laughs> We don't know what we're talking about. I was in the room all five times and I'm just like mesmerized, blown away by the strength of a woman in that moment because we thugs don't have that kind of strength. Let's be honest. You ladies are superheroes in my book, I tell you that. But what is that? It's, 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 it's the new birth. But it comes through pain and it comes through suffering and it comes through this, through this struggle. And when you're reading the Bible and you see all the violence, all the chaos, it's because God's like, man, I'm trying to create something new. And when you have that baby in your hand, all the pain, all the suffering goes away because you're like, here is what it was all about. It was all about this new creation. And this is what God is trying to take the whole world on this journey of creating. You don't have to be a believer to know the scientists believe that this world is decaying. And the Bible's been telling us that from the beginning, yes, it's going somewhere. It's giving room for something new, a new heaven and a new earth. Not just heaven and earth, but our bodies are decaying. I'm pushing 40 now. It's a different type of ball game in the morning when your joints are like, you ain't ready for this day. It was a time in my life where you just get up, you can go. Now you're like, I want to go. My mind says I want to go. My, my body's like, no, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I played soccer all my life, and now, now I go to play with the boys. The ball looks possible. My body's like, nah, don't do that. <laughs> my mind's like, go get that ball. Your hamstring's like, stop. <laughs> Stay here. Even your body is groaning for something new. And that's why something has to give. See, see, even in dying, you are giving birth. <sighs> Watch this. It's what the Bible says in Corinthians. Watch this. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are spiritual bodies. Keep going. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a living, giving, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and the heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Come on. Now, mind you, my friends, that the Bible insists on a, on a real body resurrection. Jesus spent about 50 days on earth after he was resurrected, showing himself to people because he wanted to make sure you know it's a real body resurrection. That you will get a new body. It's just glorified. It's different. That's where the mystery comes into play. But something has to give way for something new. Did you know this? As we are here, many cells in your body has died to give room for new cells to come to life. So resurrection is happening all the time. That's why you're tired all the time. Somewhere else you get that later. 
your body is constantly making new life. Here we are coming into fall, and what happens? Things die to give life to new things. So it's happening all around you. Just pay attention to this resurrected life. Can you say amen? amen? So of course the question is, so what happens when we die? When we die, my friends, that's the interim state between the now and not yet. That's what scripture tells us. That yes, you're gonna be with him, but it's not the fullness yet because he wants to come back here and he's coming with you and he's coming for us, right? One of the scriptures that just, that just rips apart a lot of our theological understanding of what it means to be saved is when Jesus was dying on the cross, there was this criminal next to him, two criminals, the Bible tells us. One was like, man, if you really are the son of God, why don't you just you know, find a way to get us out of here? The other guy was like, man, don't you get it? Like, we deserve this, we're criminals. We, everything we've done has led up to this life. And then he says this to Jesus. This is fascinating. Watch this. He says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's a criminal, dying for his sins. He knows he's a criminal. He knows he's wrong. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. That causes all kinds of theological conundrums because here's a criminal who doesn't deserve to live, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So we have to be very careful, my friends, with that theology about who's in and who's out. This guy never had a chance. Like, Jesus didn't say, hey, bow your heads and pray the sinners pray with me. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, hey, have you been baptized, catechized? What is your theology on, on me coming back? How do you feel about justification? How do you feel about predestination? How do you feel about the Baptist church? How do you feel about the Methodist church? How do you feel about the Catholic church? How do you feel about new life? See, these are all things that we've created, and I think we're gonna be surprised when Jesus says, some are gonna be in and some are gonna be out, because why? They asked me to remember them. So let's be careful not to play God, because when it comes to the final destination, he has the final say in every person's life. Before I let you in, do you, do you read the King James or do you read the New Living? Um, just want to make sure. <laughs> you see the dumb stuff we make this about? Jesus blows every theology out the water, and he's the CEO. And if he says, today, you better take that to the bank. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. So give me Jesus' words over any theological YouTube prophet out there. Today, you will be with me. We're all on a journey, but we want to hear those words. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. The interim state. Jesus blows my mind because he said things that we don't say. He tells a story about two people going, two people die. A man named Lazarus and a rich man. Doesn't give you, ah, oh man, this is, can I just preach to you for a second? In this parable, he says Lazarus died and went to heaven. A rich man died. He gave Lazarus a name. He never gave rich man a name. Why? Because his identity was in his riches. Lazarus, his identity was in him, so he has a name. He says they died, they go... He says, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. Another understanding in the Jewish tradition is that Abraham's bosom is this interim place. And then this man is in hell, which is weird because this is Jesus telling the story, and this man in hell has a conversation. He says, please, let me go tell my family about this place so they don't get here. And Jesus says, no, no, we have people for that. We have prophets and preachers and, and, and evangelists that will go out and continue to spread the good news. And, and for those who receive it, they'll come and come here to the Abraham's bosom. But here's a man from hell telling you, don't come to this place. Now, let me mess you up a little more. Because on earth, that man received all he can receive because he based his identity on his riches. And Lazarus receives all he can receive because he based on his identity on Christ and his will and his purpose for his life. Understand the two realms is not a matter of good and bad. The two realms is a matter of 
Who'd you put your trust in? One day, my friends, this thing is coming here, and God's going to say, enough. He says, I've had enough. Enough of what, though? This is where we get judgment wrong. God will say, enough with everything that doesn't belong in my kingdom. Let me be more specific. Enough with all the injustice, with all the violence, and everything that's wrong with this world. Better yet, enough of hell on earth. Go back to Genesis 1. Many things were created in Genesis 1, but hell was not one of them. Hell comes in the picture in Genesis 3 when this serpent enticed humans to live outside of God's will. And if you ever understand what hell is, it's living outside of God's will. In the meantime, we're living on, on earth, and earth is being invaded by hell. And what God is trying to do here, the good news is, God wants to get the hell out of here. To make it more personal, God wants to get the hell out of you. See, we keep talking about a realm somewhere. God's like, no, it's in you. You rebelled against me. Hell is in you. And how do you get hell out of someone without destroying that person? Well, that takes a surgeon. Because if I have cancer and I need surgery, I don't need a butcher. I need a surgeon. Oh, y'all didn't catch that. This is why he's the great physician. He knows how to get the cancer out without getting you out. This is why we have to be careful. A lot of people are trying to preach hell, and what do they do? Y'all going to hell. Ah. It's like you're destroying. You're not helping. You're not building. We're called to be surgeons, specialists in taking the right thing out. Don't throw the baby out. This is what I'm saying. I'm not into unhealthy fears and sensationalism. I'm here to give us a close perspective of what it's actually all about. If you didn't get it yet, we're the problem. And God wants to get the hell out of us because things change in Genesis 3. See, if I haven't made it clear yet, hell is for people who do not want to participate in God's new world. God is so honorable and that he says to those people, then your will be done. C.S. Lewis says, at the end of the day, there's two types of people. Those who say to God, your will be done, and those to God, whom to God says, your will be done. Because he won't force you into this. It's a participation. You have to want to participate in this new kingdom on earth. But God says, it's going to come a day. This is what we call the day of judgment. By the way, people say, how can a loving God be judging? Think about this. How do you feel when you get wronged? We all cry for justice when we're wronged. If someone wrongs you, you say, you can't let that person get away with that. So it's not that we don't like justice. We just don't like justice to come to us. But God's like, I won't be just if I continue to let the world run rampant and not bring justice to it. That's not a just God. Let me put it more clearly. God is trying to say, listen, it's going to come a day I have enough. Enough with the wars. Enough with the rapes. Enough with the greed. Enough with the injustice. Enough with the violence. Enough with the pride. Enough with division. Enough with disgrace. That's what we call the day of the Lord. Justice means to put things right. That's the real definition of judgment. God's like, I got to come and put things right. Because I cannot be a just God if I continue to let injustice run its course. Enough with corruption. Enough with incest. Enough with sexual trafficking. Enough with the powerless, the, the power defeat and the powerless. See, the story of the rich man of Lazarus is about that. 
Those with power, not helping those who are powerless. He says, enough. I've had enough. I didn't create this. I want to get the hell out of this thing. So we can actually have life and meaning and purpose. Prophet Amos says, here's what God says about the day of judgment. He says, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. God's like, I want to bring justice. Yeah, people, think about it. Revelations chapter 4, the martyr says, hold on, God, would you let them get away with this? How long? Think about it. If you are a servant of Jesus and you've done everything you can to serve him and you live in certain empires when they kill you, they're saying, God, this ain't right. Live for you. You allow these tyrants to kill us. God says, yeah, one day I'm going to have enough. But you know, God is so merciful, he says, I continue to delay that day because I just want more people to come into the fold, into this new kingdom that I'm trying to create. How can a loving God create hell? No, 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 it's why did we create hell? You won't find it in Genesis 1 and 2. There's a future, though, for us who believe. Those who say, remember me. See, the beauty of this thing, my friends, is going somewhere. It's not static. That's why I don't like that presentation of the gospel. Static. Hey, let me try to be a good person and be bored out of my mind in church, and hopefully I go to heaven. Static. It's boring. There's no life there. There's nothing. It's just religious routine. And people do that. Yeah, for some people, that's purgatory. By the way, there's no purgatory in the Bible. There's an interim state, but there's no purgatory. But here's the thing, please catch this. The more you bring heaven to earth, please hear me. The more you become a person of peace, justice, who worships the right God, a person of generosity, the more actively you're participating now in ordering to bring heaven to earth. That's why he left you here. He could have said, okay, beam him up, Scotty. He says, no, I want you to go. See, this is why this theology of end times is wrong because most of it is about leaving here instead of infiltrating here. There's nothing here about, hey, leave. He says, go. You know what, some things you don't have to pray about? The ones that God already gave you an answer to. God, should I go into the world and try to help people? I don't know. I said, go. We complicate this thing. We make it so complicated. God, is it your will for me to love my neighbor? Uh, yes. Which neighbor? I didn't tell you which neighbor. I said neighbor. You created categories of which neighbor you want to love. See, my friends, please get this. When you take heaven seriously, you will take this world seriously. Because this is where the action is. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring action here to this place. See, it's about partnering with God now. Yeah. Not later. Later is just a continuation of what you already began. It's creating pockets of heaven on earth. New ways. Listen, I'm so excited about this. New ways to accomplish. New creative ideas. New creative tasks. Celebrating his name. Glorifying him. True worship is your life. Excited, energized to do God's will. That's true worship. Paul the Apostle, who, who saw this reality, he says, man, I've had experiences. I've had revelation. And look what he says. Paul the Apostle in Corinthians says this. Look, this is what the scriptures mean. What they say, no eyes has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. The best is yet to come. See, Worship team, you can come up. Jesus' resurrection was just the beginning of bringing glimpses of heaven to earth. You see, the final redemption, heaven and earth are joined together at last. In the meantime, pay attention to the pockets. Pay attention to the moments. Pay attention to when the two rub together. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Right now, Jesus is present with his people First of all, through his word. I tell you, studying this week, I can, I can sense the presence of Jesus. My hope was coming up 
I was feeling energized, motivated, inspired. Why? Because I'm touching a different realm when I'm in this word. This is why the believer wants to be in this thing daily. Because he said, hey, don't live by bread alone, but live by every word. When you're in the word, you're in me. When you're in me, you're creating pockets of my reality on earth. Right now, I believe Jesus is right in the midst co-signing this message. He also shows up. Today, we're going to take communion, right? Shows up in the sacraments because he says, wait. He says, hey, when you do that, remember me. Get this. He said, remember me. Jesus said, yeah, remember me too. Remember what I've done for you. Don't lose sight of that. That that is where your identity is, your purpose is in what I've done on your behalf. Of course, he sends the Holy Spirit. A couple of people this week are talking to people. They're like, man, I, I get to your church and I start, I start crying. I said, yeah, because the Holy Spirit is making you tender. He's softening you up to receive what God has for you. I believe tears is actually a good thing. He's washing over your soul. He's healing you. He's restoring you. He's blessing you. And he's saying, I'm right here with you. Even in your pain, I am right there. My friends, he shows up when you pray. Last night, last morning, we had a prayer service. If you've never been to a prayer service, let me tell you something. You missed out on another pocket. It's another pocket where he says, I'm right there with my people. Did you know in Revelation, he says, I collect my people's prayers like tears. He says, your prayers are actually incense. The only thing I miss about the Catholic Church is the incense. I love that smell. There's something about it. But you have to understand the power of the symbolism of the incense in the Catholic Church was to say, hey, look, your prayers are rising up to God. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to embody you, guess what? Now you become a fragrance of the Holy Spirit going up to heaven. And heaven says, look, one of my children. So I vote that we bring incense back to this church. I don't know who we have to talk to, but we'll see. <laughs> Listen, my friends, he also shows up here. Here's one that we miss. Jesus says, I'll show up in the faces of the poor. Matthew 25. He says, when, God, did we, did we do that? He says, whenever you do to the least of these, it's like you were doing it to me. We don't talk enough about that. He says, when you, when you, when you fed someone... You fed me. When you clothed it, when you visit someone in prison, you did it unto me. We don't talk enough about this. He says, one day when I separate the sheep and the goats, that's how I'm going to do it. How did you treat the poor? See, you would have no idea. You could be entertaining Jesus today on your way home when you see someone with a sign saying, feed me. And Jesus is saying, will you bring heaven to that person right now in a tangible way? My friends, pay attention. These are pockets. And they also tests to see, are you in tune? Are you in tune? Anytime you dehumanize someone, you're bringing hell to earth. And every time you humanize someone, you're bringing heaven to earth. That's why he leaves you here. So let me end. I always recommend books because... I believe that you learn and you grow by reading. And to me, reading expands my understanding of things. And, and I, I sometimes I, I hesitate to recommend a book because I'm always recommending books. I'm a nerd. I love to read. But there's a book that explains it so much better than I could ever be able to. My favorite New Testament scholar is a man, a name, a, a man by the name of N.T. Wright. He's got a beautiful accent. He's English. So everything he says sounds heavenly. But he's done so much work in the area of the first century. He wrote a book. Write this book down. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. And you're going you're to thank God that you have something to feed your soul. Please, can I say something here as your pastor? Shut off the TV. Read some more. Read more. Read more. Expand your mind. Expand. Invest in your soul. Every time I, I, I buy a book, I'm investing in my soul. It's called Surprised by Hope. And it's a long study of what we mean by heaven and earth 
in the purpose that God has us here. And he will do a much better job than me. Trust me. But he says this, I'm going to end here. Here's a quote from him. N.T. Wright says, Jesus' Jesus appearing will be for those of us who have known and loved him here, like eating face-to-face with someone you have only known by letter, phone, or email. It's like having a long-distance relationship and then you meet the person. And it's all going to make sense. Paul even says, it's like, listen, it's all going to be unveiled and you're going to go, wow, this is, this is what it was all about. I got glimpses of it. I got moments of it. I got pockets of it. And now it's full revelation of it is in front of me. My friends, that's why this book should be exciting because if you love him now, you're going to love him later. And that's the beauty of this thing. So last question today, because I'm sure you're thinking about it. What will we do in heaven? Well, with that question, I'll give you a question. I'm going to do what Jesus does. You ask him a question, he asks you a question. My question is, what do you love to do now? Because where does that come from? Where does your dreams come from? Where does your creativity come from? What does your desires come from? What does your hope come from? It comes from the God who created you in Genesis 1. It says, I created you very good, and I created you with purpose. So the purpose lives on. Now imagine living that purpose with no hindrances. The projects that we will do, the things that we will create. My friends, sky's the limit of what this thing is. That's why, man, when we get the fullness of this, it's exciting. Because it's like you know that when you live here, you're just continuing the project that he started with you on this earth. And he's going to bring you back here. That's why here matters. What you do now matters. Why? Because it's a continuation of what you started. Once in a while, you find yourself saying this. I don't know if you ever find yourself saying this, but you're having a really good time. You're like, man, I can do this forever. And he's like, yeah, that's my point. See, forever is another word we have a struggle with. It's not linear. Forever means it changes, it morphs, it transforms, there's more. There's like you create something and then you create something else. And I don't know if you ever find this, right? You finish a project, it's exciting because, man, I got to see this thing from beginning to end. And God's like, yeah, how about we do more of that? That's heaven, my friends. With everlasting joy. With nothing missing. Just like Adam and Eve had. There was nothing missing. They just got enticed. Thinking that they were missing out on something. When they already had everything, which that's a whole other message in the boat in itself. Sometimes we already have everything we need and we're thinking something is missing. We're gonna take communion. Go ahead and grab your communion cups and can I get one of the communion cups up here from one of the ushers, please? This is one of the ways Jesus says, Hey, here's a pocket of heaven for you. When you do this, remember me, remember what I've done for you. I'll give you a minute because it takes skills to open this thing. <laughs> Which, by the way, this was, this was not Jesus' plan. This is the American plan. This is the American version. Jesus' version is a meal. You sit around with your friends and you break bread and you remember what he's done for you. But because we are Americans, we're so germaphobes, we create these little things. <laughs> but it's a meal, it's a celebration. Why don't we do this every week, some, like some churches? Because we don't want to lose the essence of it. We don't want to lose the significance of it and become ritualistic where we just do it for the sake of doing it. No, we want to do it with meaning and purpose that we're remembering. And we believe that in the moment that we're doing this, he's right here with us in spirit. Matthew 26 is the meal that Jesus had with his disciples, which by the way, they were used to this meal before Jesus. What Jesus did is he, he brought a, different, a deeper meaning to it. He says, hey, we used to celebrate the Passover from Egypt where you had to kill an animal. He's like, no longer. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. You see, when they suspended, this is another picture. When they suspended Jesus on the cross, that's a message in itself. He's saying, I'm bringing the two realms together. in my life. I'm going to take hell 
so you don't have to. This is surgery. I'm meticulously dealing with evil, so I don't destroy you in the process. I want to deal with evil and hell, but I don't want to hurt you. I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I love you. My friends, this is good news for everyone. You have to really be hard in a heart to reject this. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. You didn't create it. So he will do everything to keep pushing people forward to this. That's why I, my, I cringe when I hear messages that's all about hell and destruction. It's like, where's the healing? Where's the hope? Because this is a hopeful message. It's a hopeful message. He invites you. You understand this? This is an invitation to his table. That's why this doesn't do it justice. He's saying, man, come eat with me. Man. God of the universe says, come, sit. Though your sins are... I will make you whiter. Say, come. Eat with me. Sit with me. Linger a little bit. That's what communion is. You're invited to the table of the God of the universe. So he says this to them in that moment. He says it to us. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it. For this is my body. Let's eat. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.